Hello and welcome on in for another episode of Dogs in Autumn, the history of American football. We'll take a quick breath before we dive in to encourage you to rate and review the show if you hadn't already. Also, check out my free Substack where I write about stuff simultaneously more broad and more niche than this show. My latest is called Field of Bad Dreams, and it's about the history of artificial turf in the NFL and how the turf monster might one day soon be a thing of the past. I'm happy to be here and, of course, very happy to have you here as well. As major college football continues to consolidate around the biggest programs of the most resources and grandest histories, a lot of things have fallen by the wayside of our collective memory. Not forgotten entirely, so much is left behind and just out of sight. Today we're talking about one of those things, the Big Eight Conference. The once proud home of Oklahoma, Nebraska, Colorado, Missouri, and most of the big programs of the American Plains, the Big Eight feels almost as though it never dissolved. Something that looks like a successor continues operation today is the Big 12 Conference, but despite the similarity of name and composition, the two conferences are distinct entities and in many respects probably couldn't be more different. But that's for later. The Big Eight was one of the oldest active conferences at the time of its dissolution. It was founded in 1907 by the universities of Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, Washington University in St. Louis, and bizarrely the University of Iowa, who was also in the at the time and would remain so, having left the Big Eight in 1911 without ever competing in Big Eight football. The early version of the Big Eight was called the Missouri Valley Intercollegiate Athletic Association because branding wasn't yet a very well-developed art form, I guess, and by 1925 they would grow to include Iowa State, Drake University, who left, Nebraska, who left and came back, Oklahoma, who had to apply twice to get accepted, Kansas State, St. Louis, later left, Grinnell College, also left, and then Oklahoma State but it wouldn't take long for trouble to start. Most of the trouble came from the usual suspects, travel distance, public school resources relative to private school resources, and the number of programs in the conference. In 1928, Oklahoma State, Grinnell, St. Louis, Washington University in St. Louis, and Drake were all left behind, and the remaining members of the Missouri Valley Intercollegiate Athletic Association broke away to form something the press can't call the Big Six. For ease of the listener, the members of this Big Six were Oklahoma, Nebraska, Missouri, Kent State, and Iowa State. The problem was that regardless of what they wanted to call them, they already had a name they liked and they wanted to keep it. So they did. The six larger, wealthier programs took the MVIAA with them. For some reason. Once again, I guess just... Keep in mind that branding wasn't as well developed at the time, so no one knew what a good name was, I guess. The smaller schools hated that, and they named their new conference the Missouri Valley Conference. That's a better brand, but I don't know if anyone involved knew that. Maybe the conference officials and employees did, though, because all the personnel for the MVIAA stayed with, or left for, I'm not sure, the MVC. It doesn't really matter anymore, but to this day, which of those two conferences was the real one and owned the history and legacy in 1907 founding date has never really been resolved. But in either case, no one really used the clunky older name anymore anyway because Big Six stuck. 
A formal legal name change would come in the 60s after the additions of Colorado in 1947 and the reintroduction of Oklahoma State in 1957. As the 20th century unfolded, like basically every conference, the Big Eight grew to be deeply unequal internally. They may have been Clark Kent's favorite team and the flagship school of the state that Ted Lasso calls home, but most of Kansas's non-fiction football success predates the First World War. Kansas State never really took off until after the formation of the Big 12 in the late 90s. Iowa State has had their greatest stretch in program history in just the last decade. Missouri kept it respectable, even impressive in stretches, but never dominant. Colorado may have been a late addition, but they had a great run through most of their history with the league, but again, not a dominant one. Oklahoma State eventually became home to the greatest athlete in the history of the Big Eight, Barry Sanders, but their overall role in the food chain of the league was much closer to the bottom than the top. I've mentioned before that conferences historically tended to revolve around one or two programs that just stood a cut above. For the Big Eight, it was two, Oklahoma and Nebraska, two of the most prestigious, most successful, and at times throughout their respective histories, so completely dominant programs that their names to this day almost rhyme with football, at least on a spiritual level. Between the two of them, there are 11 Heisman trophies and 12 claimed national titles, plus many more unclaimed but plausible ones. It's a bit of a unique rivalry between these two, one generally marked by mutual respect between two programs of similar historical prestige and largely similar culture. They've played in numerous games of historical significance for the sport, including one of those alleged games of the century in 1971. Nebraska won that matchup, and the 1971 Nebraska team remains one of the greatest of all time to this day. Of course, the Big Eight midwifed other rivalries too. Kansas and Missouri, called the Border War, is about as far from the mutual respect of Oklahoma and Nebraska as you could be. It was a rivalry born of a lingering animosity between the two states themselves, with its roots reaching back through history before the Civil War to the days of violence remembered as bleeding Kansas. There's also Bedlam, the rivalry with perhaps the best name this side of the Iron Bowl or the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. At the end of every season, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State come together to hash out bragging rights for the state of Oklahoma. To be as fun as it can be, Bedlam is enormously one-sided, with Oklahoma maintaining a margin of 91 wins against 7 ties and 19 losses as of 2023. The thing about all these games, though, is that they're either functionally dead or will be very soon. It's sad, but it's true, and it's just the way that it is. Oklahoma and Nebraska have played recently, with Oklahoma winning both matchups in a temporary revival of the series over the 21 and 22 seasons. But those were the first meetings of the two Titans since Nebraska left for the Big Ten Conference in 2010. Kansas and Missouri haven't played since Mizzou jumped to the SEC in 2011. And Bedlam looks destined for the dustbin of history once Oklahoma follows Mizzou to the SEC in 2024. Now, I'm of the opinion that rivalries are the very top of the list of things that makes college football distinct and special relative to the NFL. Don't get me wrong, the NFL has a handful of decent ones, but they absolutely trip over air and faceplant 
trying to walk so far behind even run-of-the-mill college rivalries. So what could have killed all these great historic matchups? Money, of course. In 1984, Oklahoma and Georgia hauled the NCAA in front of the Supreme Court, and the court ruled that the NCAA could not punish schools for selling their own media rights. This had the effect of immediately removing major college football from the NCAA's list of assets. In other words, while the NCAA is responsible in large part for setting rules and enforcing them for all college athletics, they no longer control the money in major college football and haven't for almost 40 years. There was an almost immediate push to set up a structure for the schools to maximize their media revenue, and everyone but the Big Ten Conference and Pac-10 Conference got together to form the College Football Association, which essentially existed as a bargaining entity for the rest of college football to sell their broadcast rights. This went well at first, but by 1990, cable television had spread so far and wide that the landscape had changed. Notre Dame, still fiercely independent, left the CFA to negotiate its own TV deal in 1990. Then the Southeastern Conference did in 1991, along with the Big East, and the CFA was dead after just a few short years of life. This is the beginning of the phase of college football we remain in to this day. Conferences rule over the sport like warlords, each fighting for broadcast slots and minutes and eyeballs like the dwindling fertile land around a rapidly shrinking river. Those falling dominoes killed the Southwest Conference and led four of its members, Texas, Texas A&M, Baylor, and Texas Tech, to seek out a new home with our boys in the Big 8. And so the Big 12 was born in 1996. Now, like I said at the top, you might think this was just an expansion of the existing Big 8. The math even works out, which is rare these days, but that wasn't the case. The Big 8 is officially defunct, and the Big 12 is a new conference with its own branding and history. This was likely just to move toward a fresh start for all involved, made in good faith with the hope that no one would feel overwhelmed or out of place in the new circumstances. But whatever good faith there might have been, it didn't last long in a conference with egos the size of Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas A&M, and Colorado in the same room. But that's the Big 12 story, not the Big 8. And like I said, those are different. Thanks for listening. Again, leave a rating or review if you're feeling kind. I deeply appreciate it. Feel free to reach out to me at Dogs and Autumn on TikTok and Twitter, one word by the way, or email me at dogsandautumn at gmail.com. Also remember to check out my Substack, dogsandautumn.substack.com. It'll be in my show notes. Till next time, take care and have fun.